open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26. We are continuing our study through this book of Genesis, where there is so much that is happening. Moses is packing so much in. He is trying to cover centuries, no, millennia, all in one epistle, all in one document. And there is so much ground to cover, and we wonder almost how much he is having to leave out. But here, as we come to Genesis 26, we will see that Moses is, has important things he has to communicate to those first readers, the people of Israel. Remember, this is being written to them as they are wandering through the wilderness, perhaps at Mount Sinai, sometime shortly after that. And then they spend about 40 years in the wilderness before they enter into the promised land. It is during that time that Moses writes and delivers this book of Genesis. It is this time, at this time, that the people of Israel would have received it and read it and consumed it as they are preparing to enter the place that God had promised them. So there is, there's quite a bit in this book that Moses has to communicate, not just for them, but also for us. As we await our eternal home, the place where God has called us. Before we enter into the study of God's word, would you join me in in asking the Lord's blessing as we study his word together this morning? Father, we are reminded of what your son has said, as he quoted from Deuteronomy 8, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, every word that we find here. So, O oh God, we pray that you will assist us by your Spirit, that we would be nourished this morning and fed on your word and by your word. We pray all this in Christ's name, our good Savior Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but every now and then, uh, there is a, a movie that will come out that will recount a book or it will be a, a, a remake of a book. And uh, the, the movies are never as good as the books are. Sometimes they are downright terrible. But every now and then you'll find a, a movie that is also a remake of a previous movie. And sometimes it'll be a remake of a remake of a remake. And you're recounting the same story over and over and over again. I mean, how, how many Batman movies have there been and, and they're going to make more? Why? How many different Spider-Men have there been over the years? Recently, I saw a picture of uh, the different Hulks that have existed from the 1970s all the way up till today. Now, the graphics have gotten better, you know, from simply painting a man green to now, I mean, it's not even an individual, it's, you know some computer work that is being done. But it's just a a remake after a remake after a remake. The same thing happens in music. There are some musicians that are good enough to write and uh, to come up with their own songs. And then there are a lot of other musicians that not nearly as gifted, but they'll, they'll simply sing the same songs that other musicians have made famous. And this Christmas, this is that time of year, right? 
Everyone produces a Christmas album or a CD. And you know what? 98% of the songs on all of those CDs, they're the same, right? You buy one Christmas CD, you've bought like 50 because it's almost all the same exact song. We just remake the same songs. Every Christmas time, we sing so many of the same songs. It's, it's that, that hits that are keep coming back, that we keep re-listening to, re-enjoying. And as we come to Genesis chapter 26... That is exactly what we see. It's almost as if this is a remake of of Abraham's life. It's almost as if Isaac himself is covering all of Abraham's greatest hits. It is story after story after story that if if you have been following or if you have read through the book of Genesis, you're going to be reading through this as we do together, and you're going to realize, huh, This all sounds really familiar. Moses is trying to show us several different things in this this account of Isaac's life. And this is, we are given 12 or so chapters of Abraham's life. Isaac will find his way mentioned in a handful of chapters. But this chapter, he gets one chapter devoted solely to his adult life. And what we find is his adult life looked a lot like his father's adult life. Reliving some of those same experiences. So follow along as we'll see first... Isaac shares in Abraham's faith. Isaac shares in Abraham's faith. This is, we see this in the first six verses of Genesis chapter 26. We read, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, we, we read that there is a famine in the land of Canaan and it is going to cause Abraham to go to Egypt. Well, here again, there's a famine in the land. Not, not, the first, not like the first famine. This is a different famine. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. So he is up in northern area. He is to get to Egypt. It appears that he is traveling down. He begins to go through this area of the Philistines where Abimelech is the king. And there we read in verse 2, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt or lived in Gerar. What we see very first off is this this famine, this food and water shortage Just like we see back in Genesis chapter 12, and Isaac begins to travel. He stops here in this land of the Philistines. And it's at this time that the Lord calls him. And he calls him, not like Abraham, where where the Lord calls him to come to the land. But now he is saying, dwell in the land, stay in the land. 
just as God had told Abraham. And if we read through these promises in verses 3 and 4, we, are, we would notice, in fact, let's do that. We're going to notice that there is so much overlap. This command, uh, uh, this, these words, 26 chapter 3, verse 3, I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham. That is from, this is taken from Genesis chapter 22, verses 16, when the Lord covenanted himself with Abraham in response to Abraham's faith. And when he was willing, he showed himself willing to sacrifice his son in obedience to the Lord's command. This is what is being referred to. But again, in 26 verse 4, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. Where does that come from? That's Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And then again, I will give to your descendants all these lands. That we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. And again in chapter 17. And then the latter part of 24, verse 4 of 26. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That promise is given over and over and over again to Abraham, beginning in chapter 12, verse 3. And how does Isaac respond to the Lord's promises here? And think about what God is calling him to. There's a time of famine. There's a, there's a food and water shortage. Or a water shortage that is producing a food sort, shortage. And if you live and breathe agriculture, which everyone at this time did, that is devastating. It is difficult for you and I to grapple with how devastating a famine would be. It, it would be as, it is, it is similar to to when a, we have a, a massive depression or recession in our economy and all the jobs are lost and there is no money, no jobs, nothing to be had. That is the situation here. And just as you and I, we are forced at those times to go where the jobs are, Isaac is forced to go where there is food and water. And yet the Lord calls him to stay. He tests him. And Isaac's response, in light of not just this command, but the promises that God gives, Isaac's response is to trust God. He stays and he dwells in this land of Gerar. He stays where the Lord tells him. He shares in Abraham's faith. Just as Abraham responded to God's call to go to the land where God showed him, so Isaac responds in faith by staying in the land. When everything in him, every fiber of his being is telling him it is wise to leave. Isaac trusts God. He shares in Abraham's faith. More than that, though, Isaac shares in Abraham's failures. We see this in the next passage. Verse 7. So he stays in this area of Gerar. And in verse 7. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she is my sister. He is repeating the same error that Abraham did. You will remember Abraham falls into this trap at least twice that we know of. Once in this very region. And unlike Abraham. Unlike Abraham, who 
where Sarah was Abraham's stepsister, half-sister. Rebecca holds no such right. This is an outright lie and deception. But he says, she is my sister. Why? For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Some translations will have it laughing that clearly what is going on here is some kind of uh, physical intimacy that is happening between Isaac and Rebekah. That's clearly not uh, brother and sister, okay? It, whether it's kissing, this is, this is not how you kiss your sister. It, it was clear to, to Abimelech, this ain't kosher. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously she is your wife, so how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have soon have laid with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. It's fascinating. Isaac here shares in the same exact failure of his father. Not only does he show faith like Abraham, he he fails like Abraham. And yet, just as God protected Abraham when he failed in this regard, so you see God protecting Isaac as well. God God doesn't just wipe Isaac off because he falters and fails. Yet he shows him mercy. He protects him from his own poor decisions. So we see God, Isaac shares in Abraham's faith. He shares in his failures. And finally we see that he shares in Abraham's Favor, And I, I realize I used that word finally. That is not a finally to the message, all right? Uh, what we are doing is, re- I know some of you thought, wow, this is the fastest sermon on record. We are going to just read through the passage, recount the events that are happening here, and then we're going to draw some reflections from it. But here what we have in verses 12 to 33, we see Abra- Isaac sharing in Abraham's favor as well. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than, uh, than we are. And Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek. 
which means conflict, because they quarreled with him. When they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also, so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. And let us, let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you. Which really isn't too true. They have caused him quite difficulty. But since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast. It is Isaac made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. We see back in Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 to 34, these same events that are happening here happened to Abraham. In fact, we find that he is interacting with the same individual, Abimelech. And there is, there is questions about whether this is the same person as before. Whether Abimelech isn't a title or a family name. Because this is 75 years later. About, about time that this, is, that this is happening. And so it seems unlikely that this is the same Abimelech that happens in, uh, that, that confronted uh, uh, Abraham. It seems like it's not the same person. It could be people were living extraordinarily longer than they are living today. But it seems more likely that this is a, a, a title, a family name. What we find happening is that Isaac is experiencing material prosperity because of God's blessing. And he is, because of the envy of the Philistines, he's sent out. And there is conflict over wells to the point where he must continue to dig new wells until the Lord makes room for him. And then just as the Philistines make a covenant or a treaty with Abraham, so here they make a treaty with Isaac. And this chapter raises all sorts of questions. I mean, why, why, of all, of all the events that happened in Isaac's life, why these events? Why bother recording these events here? I mean, really, we've, we've already had events similar to this. What's the point? 
And then not just why, why these events, but why put these events in this location? Why Genesis 26? Why not? Why, why, why are these events recorded between Genesis 25 and 27? When it seems very likely that these events happened prior to Genesis chapter 24. I'm sorry, prior to Genesis chapter 25. You will see in this text that outside of verses 34 and 35, there is no mention of Jacob and Esau. And even verses 34 and 35, they do not have any, there is no time frame, that that they are not connected in any way to the chronology, to the time frame of the chapter. It's hard to believe that Jacob and Esau are even around. I say that because if, if Jacob and Esau were around, then it, it would be difficult to see how the people of the Philistines didn't know that Isaac and Rebekah were married. Oh no, she's just my sister, not my wife. Who are these kids that are calling you dad and her mom? Uh, I, I, I don't know them. We don't have anything like that. Uh, they, they, there seems to be, all of this seems to be happening prior to the birth of Jacob and Esau. So it raises a question, why does Moses record these events and why does he record these events here? Moses seems to be wanting to do several things. He seems, first of all, he wants us to show, he wants to show how Isaac relives all of Abraham's greatest hits. He's, he's making it abundantly clear to the people of Israel hundreds of years later and to us today that it is Isaac and not Ishmael that is the line of promise. He, he wants us to see that just as Isaac is is sharing in the father's experiences. So it is through Isaac that God has given and made this covenant. That the people of Israel can be sure that they belong to God. That the covenant rests with them. Because they can trace it through Isaac to Abraham. The second thing is that all the blessings and promises that God makes to Isaac in this chapter, this is the inheritance, the birthright that we see Esau despising in the last chapter and Jacob swindling his brother out of. We left last week with that question, what is this birthright? What is the blessing that is at stake in these chapters? Chapter 26 describes what that birthright and blessing is. It is the covenant relationship with God. It is all of God's promises given to Isaac. That is what is at stake here between Jacob and Esau. That's what Jacob desires and manipulates his way into. And that is what Esau despises. But there's this third thing, and I think this is, this is radically important. Moses wants to reinforce the message that we come to belong to God in a certain way. That is, we do not come to belong to God by simply genetics. Ishmael had Abraham as his father, just as Isaac did. 
Jacob and Esau both had Isaac as their father. And yet there is a line of promise. Merely being related to a family that calls itself Christian does not make oneself a Christian. There are some in our culture that simply because they are Italian, they must be Catholic. They must be part of a church. They must be included. A relationship with God doesn't come to us on the basis of who our family identity is, of who our parents are. Children and young men and women, it does not matter if your parents take you to church every week, if your parents listen to the sermon, if your parents are believers in Christ. We do not get to be in the grace of God. We do not... We do not become part of God's people merely by belonging to a family with Christian parents. It is not by genetics that we come to belong to God. Neither is it by by grade. It is not by being superior to others. Ishmael is born before Isaac. Esau is born before Jacob. In the world's eyes, Esau had the right to have the covenant to him. All those covenant promises should have gone to him. But God isn't impressed or swayed by status and by the rankings of the world. How the world grades us out doesn't matter. Whether the world finds you influential or important, whether your Facebook page or your Instagram account has lots of followers and people who will like your content is meaningless in the eyes of God. It is not by genetics nor by the rankings of the world that we come to belong to God. Neither is it through our own grit, through our own work. The biggest issue through Abraham's life is whether he would trust God's word and promises or whether he would try to work things out on his own. But we are told why Abraham is is accounted righteous in the eyes of God. In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteous. More than this, it is not only not by genetics or by grade or by grit, it is not by grift. That is, Jacob is going to try to swindle his way, deceive his way into the promises of God. And yet we have that promise of the Lord in chapter 25, that it would be Jacob to whom the promises come, the older will serve the younger. What all this reminds us of is that the promises and the presence of God is by gift as grace through faith. That is, we come to belong to God by grace and grace alone, through faith and faith alone. That's, That's what Isaac must learn in this chapter. He is learning to trust in God. First, in that initial account, stay in the land. And he stays. Why? Because he believes in what God has told him. 
He believes in who God is. He believes that God is going to be good to his word. He's trusting in God. We receive the promises of God and we become his people through faith. In verse 1, there's a food shortage. In verse 2, Isaac is called to stay. In verses 3 to 5, there are these promises that are given. And in verse 6, he stays. We are called to believe. We belong to God through faith. Secondly, we belong to God only through the obedience of another. Look with me at verse 5. God makes all these extraordinary promises to Isaac in verses 3 and 4. And then he explains to Isaac why Isaac is going to receive them. And he uses this word, it's important. He says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The reason Isaac and the reason any of us are able to belong to God and share in the covenant blessings, to share in fellowship with God, to know him and to have him as our God is through the obedience of another. Do you see that? God makes these promises in verses 3 and 4. You will have all this. I will be your God. I will be with you. You will have many descendants. This land will be your land. All that God promises come to Isaac. Why? Because Abraham obeyed. And just as the covenant comes to Isaac through the obedience of Abraham, so you and I share in a relationship with God through the obedience of Christ Jesus. There's a reason why Christmas is important. It is because as we, as we look back on his, his birth, we remember that Christ was born and lived as a man in our place. He was obedient where you and I have disobeyed. He sinned. He was sinless where you and I have sinned. Where you and I have fallen short, he remained faithful. We approach God and we belong to God, not because we are good. Not because we have obeyed, but because Christ has been good. And because Christ has obeyed in our place. This is why Christmas matters just as much as Easter Because if Christ simply would have entered into this world days before the cross, preached and taught, been hated by the Pharisees, crucified by all present, and then resurrected, it wouldn't have been sufficient for us. We need not only his death in our place, we need his obedience in our place. Christ not only Christ not only suffers for us Christ obeys for us so that you and I have the righteousness of Christ credited to our account you know it is not just in our world the best if we are ever tried for a crime the best we can hope for are the words, not guilty. 
But it is not enough for you and I to approach and come to God, for us to belong to God, simply being not guilty. We need something to approach the Lord. We need a holiness of which we cannot attain. We need a righteousness of which we have none. Where are we to bring righteousness? Where can we get it? Friend, we get it from Jesus. You get it from Jesus. You failed this past week. Maybe you were short-tempered with someone. Maybe you were tired after staying up too late a couple nights in a row. Maybe your eyes lingered too long on an image or on a person. You began to lust in your heart. Or maybe you noticed some roots of bitterness going on deep. Maybe, maybe Thursday night into Friday, covetousness was a, something you began to have to fight or should have had to fight. We fall short every day. How can we who are not righteous come before a righteous God? Only bearing the righteousness of Christ, whose righteousness is sufficient in our place. So friends, if you have never trusted in Christ, we, I urge you this morning to do so. Through his death, he not only takes our sins away, but through his life, he gives you righteousness so that we may approach God boldly, gladly. So that this moment, if you have trusted in Christ Jesus, the Lord is rejoicing over you. And you are assured that no matter how depleted you feel of all goodness in and of yourself, you can be assured this morning... That you are accepted by God, not because of how good you have been, or how righteous you have been, or how obedient you have been this week. We approach God every day only through the obedience of Jesus. Friends, trust, rely, cling to Christ, cling to Jesus. His obedience is perfect for you. The third thing we see in this chapter is that Isaac is a a mixed bag. Certainly, he he trusts God, doesn't he? I mean, some, some incredible faith to trust God in all the testing and all the trial that he is now facing. And yet, he lies. More than that, he... He lies in the most despicable and cowardly way ever. No, this this isn't my wife. She's my sister. This is akin to husbands, wives, you going down and and going to the store late at night with with your wife, with your husband, and someone jumps out to rob you, and husbands, instead of stepping in front of your wives... You push her in front of you, right? That's an action you don't recover from easily. 
But that's exactly what's happening here. No, she's not my wife. She's my sister. He was afraid for his life. As if she shouldn't be afraid of her for hers. Brother and sister, sometimes we look at one another and we expect that Christians ought to be perfect. I love the words of Matthew Henry. Very good men have sometimes been guilty of very great faults. Let those, therefore, that stand take heed lest they fall, and those that have fallen not despair of being helped up again. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we all will fail. If that's not abundantly clear to you now, it it ought to be and it will be. As you pursue Christ in this life and fight sin. But Isaac's life is a call for each and every one of us to watch ourselves, to watch our lives. If someone who has just given such great evidence of faith falls in such a despicable way, then none of us are safe. I mean, if Isaac, the son of Abraham, the one who has talked with the Lord and received such glorious promises from, if he himself falls, how much more able are any of us? And we who fall, let us rejoice that Falling is not the end of our lives. It is not the last chapter that shall be written. Though we have fallen, we do not need to despair as if there is no ability for us to rise up again. Isaac falls, but he does rise. He does trust God. He does follow after the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there is no no coasting. There is no time off. There are no vacation days, no holidays, no cheat days when it comes to following Christ. So let us watch ourselves. And when we fall, let us return to the Lord, knowing that he is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Also, Let us cling to the promises of God. And here I'll give that that genuine finally. Here is the, the real finally in the message. Let us cling to the promises of God. This this is the scenario. Isaac um and all who are with him, they are facing a food and water shortage in a hostile land with people who continue to oppose them at every turn. They dig a well, that well gets, that well gets filled in. And why is, God, why is Isaac here in the first place? Because God tells him to stay here. Brother and sister in Christ, trust the Lord. Even when his providence to you seems strange. Count the promises of God worth waiting on the Lord for. Sometimes the Lord calls us to trials. We think certainly trial comes and it must be the Lord's will for us to find some exit plan, some exit hatch. And yet here God's call on Isaac is for him to remain in the place where it is going to be difficult. 
The only way for us to to remain is to cling to the promises of God, to be intentional and to remember God's promises. Isaac's whole life, he had been taught to look forward to living in the land that God promised him. And now that he is here, he is facing famine and hostility. Matthew Henry writes this, What shall Isaac think of the promise when the promised land will not find him bread? Is such a promise worth accepting upon such terms and after so long a time? Do you get what he's asking here? God has given him extraordinary promises. Stay in the land. This is the land that I have promised you. He stays in the land. What's the land give him? Little. Problems. Trouble. Are the promises of God worth it? Friend, what about you? To remain faithful? To obey? To do what God clearly says? When with every fiber of your being, you long for something else? The answer, of course, is yes. God's promises are worth it. The worth of what God has promised us in Christ is not cheapened or lost because we have been led into difficult times by the strange providence of God. So remember the worth and the value of God's promises. When you feel alone, remember that you have the promised Holy Spirit. Remember that there is coming a day when you will never feel alone again. When you will be with God and with his people. And when the world plummets once again into uncertainty, when the bills pile up, when the job is lost... When the health of a spouse or a child fails, remember that God does not lead where he will not provide. When disappointment or anger or sin threaten to undo you, remember the promises of God. That he will uphold you, that he will never leave you or forsake you. And remember the root of all God's promises, present and future, is that he will be with us. And one day we will be with him. You see this in verse 3. Dwell in this land and I will be with you. And then again in the middle of the conflict with Abimelech, in verse 24 God comes to Isaac and he reminds him, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. And then again, when finally Abimelech comes to sue for peace, he is the one who tells Isaac in verse 28, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. The root of all of God's promises is the presence of God. And this is what will make heaven so glorious. This is what will make eternity worth it. 
It is not the absence of hardship and pain, although that in and of itself will be glorious. Yesterday, a a number of us guys, men, got together and we played flag football out in the soccer field. And this morning, I am longing for a world in which there will be no more pain. I could barely put my socks on this morning. I was so sore. I almost, I got up early and I, I almost had to wake my wife up. Could you, could you put my socks on me this morning? It was, it was that bad. Someone sent me, a, 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 sent a group of us a meme yesterday telling us, you know, that pain is, lets you know that you are alive. And I feel so very, very, very alive right now. So true. But heaven is better than merely the absence of pain. Heaven is better than merely the absence of tears. It's it's better than merely the absence of frustration with whatever may be going on in the world. It is better than the absence of death. It is better than the absence of, of, of political unrest or uncertainty. It is better than the absence of any of that. And it is better than the presence of loved ones, the presence of, of mansions or gold or whatever else we may see there described in, in the scriptures. It is better than all of that. All of the root of those things is found in the presence of God. Why do we need no sun nor moon? Because God is there and he is our sun. He is the light that will light the world. This is the glory of what Christ has done. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us that, that Christ has suffered the righteous one for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God. The root of all the promises to be experienced by Isaac and the root of all the promises that God gives us is the presence of God. And if you have trusted in Christ, you have his spirit with you now. And you have the promise of an eternity with him in his presence forever. We can go anywhere knowing that God goes with us with this assurance. And we can be content to stay anywhere knowing that God is with us. Brothers and sisters, let us trust in the promises of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your good and glorious promises. These promises which we trace from Abraham through Isaac to Jacob. We, are, we see our very selves in these individuals. We see times of faith and we see times of failure. And yet through it all, we marvel at your grace. Help us, O God, this week, this Christmas season, to cling to the promises which you have given to us in Christ Jesus, that we may with great gladness rejoice in you. 
Oh, Father, have mercy on us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.